men, 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 manly men, 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 manly men, 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 manly men. This is Rumble with Michael Moore, and I am Michael Moore. Welcome, everyone. Last week, uh, we aired part one of our conversation with Rebecca Tracer of New York Magazine. And uh, if you listened last week, you know that we had quite a discussion about her recent piece in New York Magazine about Joe Biden's first six months in office. But as we were wrapping that up during the taping of that uh, podcast, I had to ask her about uh, the Me Too movement and her thoughts on the progress or not progress that we've made since 2017. And I did this because she has been one of the most thoughtful writers on this subject. Uh, But also, for years, uh, Rebecca has done important journalism on gender and feminism. Um, And to have her on my podcast, I thought, well, this is a an important opportunity to talk about uh, an issue that um, I think all of us agree we should continue to talk and do things about, especially in this uh, week of Andrew Cuomo. But it's not just Andrew Cuomo, as we know. There's uh, thousands of little Andrew Cuomos running around uh, everywhere in this country, on this planet. So, um, so that's why we have to keep this as one of the discussions that we have and one of the action items that we all have to agree to do, front and center. So anyway, so I was just having this conversation with her on last week's podcast about Biden, which was what we had intended the entire episode to be about. And uh, and then I just randomly, I just wanted to ask her about, you know, since all this writing that she had done leading up to 2017 and Harvey and all this, and, and uh, since then, uh, what did she think? What does she think about where we're at right now? And this question uh, turned into an unplanned and revealing 40-minute discussion. And not just about Me Too or Harvey Weinstein. It is about that too. But, but also just about the sexual harassment that we, she and I, and you out there listening to this, that we've all been witness to for so many years. But in her case, and in my case, the sexual harassment that we've been witness to in our so-called progressive or liberal media, that we don't talk about too much. Because it's not a pretty story. You know, a story about how the left and liberals often don't want to discuss what we all know to be going on. So we just dove right into it. And since this ended up being its own conversation uh, for 40 minutes, we here at Rumble World Headquarters uh, decided uh, to air it as its own episode and to do that sort of as a part two of Rebecca Tracer uh, on Rumble. And that's what we're doing today. After you listen to this, and I encourage you to please... uh, Give it a listen, because things are said, important things are said, and revealing things are said about she and I as two of many witnesses uh, to what has uh, uh, gone on 
and in one in particular case that I was privy to in our so-called liberal progressive media. Um, now, when we're done at the end of here, at the end of the uh, episode, um, I will share with you some final thoughts that I've had since we uh, recorded this and about uh, what we all need to do to keep paying attention to this very important uh, issue. Um, so I will, you will hear that uh, at the end of, of today's episode. But before we get into any of this, um, uh, I want to give a shout out, as I usually do, and a thank you, a big thank you to our underwriters who uh, always uh, so wonderfully and bravely stand up for this podcast and me in general so that our voice can be heard. First is Liquid IV. Thank you, Liquid IV, for supporting Rumble. The whole point of them, I think, being part of this podcast and underwriting it is because uh, they believe that good health always starts with good hydration. Anybody disagree with that? Do I see any hands? No, of course not. We're all, especially in a summer like this, we're all feeling dehydrated. Well, not only does Liquid IV keep us hydrated, it also tastes really good. It comes in lemon-lime and strawberry and watermelon and apple pie. Did I say apple pie? Yes, you did, Mike. You said apple pie. Yeah, these are all the great flavors. These are all natural flavors. It's all great. And it, it comes in these little sticks, like powder sticks, like you used to have uh, when you were kids. Well, it's, you just put it into your 16-ounce bottle or thing of water, and all of a sudden... It becomes this hydrating drink where you get two to three times faster and more efficient hydration than if you were just drinking water alone. It contains five essential vitamins and has more vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. And what I also like about Liquid IV is that they use their product for good. The company has donated four million servings in response to COVID-19 to hospitals, to first responders, and to food banks. So they have a deal also now for you, Rumble listeners only. Uh, you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code RUMBLE at the checkout. So that's 25% off anything you order, and you get better hydration all day. All you got to do is use the promo code RUMBLE at liquidiv.com, and that's spelled liquid, and then IV.com, liquidiv.com. And don't forget to write in the code RUMBLE. And thank you, Liquid IV, for being such strong supporters of my voice and this podcast. And before we get going here with the episode, I also want to thank our longtime underwriter, ExpressVPN, for supporting this podcast and for supporting our privacy when we're online. We all take little risks every day when we go online, whether we think about it or not. We think that our connection probably won't be interrupted by hackers uh, and that our data won't be used against us. Okay, I know, I know. None of us think that, right? But using the internet without ExpressVPN, I mean, it's like driving without car insurance. Uh, you can do it, but I think we all agree it's probably too risky. ExpressVPN acts as an online insurance and an online defender of our privacy. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between our devices and the internet so that hackers can't steal our personal data. And it's just as simple as that. And it's simple to use on all your devices. All you have to do is fire up their app, 
click one button and boom, you're protected. So protect yourself with our wonderful underwriter here, expressvpn.com. And don't forget to put the slash in the rumble. So it's expressvpn.com slash rumble. Just use my link, expressvpn.com slash rumble. And you get three extra months for free of this. So again, thank you very much to expressvpn.com for supporting this podcast. And thank all of you out there willing uh, to uh, let them know that you're grateful and that you want to try them for three free months. ExpressVPN.com slash rumble. And now for part two of my conversation with Rebecca Tracer. You know, you have been such uh, an important part of the thinking and the writing uh, of what we now call the Me Too movement. But you were you were Me Too before there was Me Too. You were writing about these things um, and and about the the um, as as you put it back. I don't know why I was just going through some of your old uh, material here today. Uh, the the lecherous, uh, powerful men that um, determined how things ran. And especially in the media, um, but it was you were your writing on this was so powerful. So that when Harvey Weinstein, when this whole thing uh, happened, um, you were such a, a good place to go to, to for all of us, I think, to kind of wrap our heads around, you know, what uh, what do we do about this? Um, th- this it, it, it happened so fast it seemed, although it was hundreds of years in the making. Um, yeah. But but there you were with this and i'm just curious because you know um um they uh extradited him uh, harvey weinstein to california here and um he's now going to be tried out there uh he's got 23 years in prison that he's got to do in new york state um and now uh with both rape and sex- sexual assault in california uh they're going to uh, put him on trial there I'm just, you know, you, you had written, I remembered about, you know, your own personal run-ins with him. And, um, and I think any of us who are in any, whether we're in entertainment or film or journalism, especially if you are based in New York City, um, uh, you know, there, it seems like everybody's got a Harvey story, but sure. where were these stories? Men, all of us have to accept our share of the responsibility, even if it was our ignorance or not seeing it or not, or just, you know, um, it, it, uh, you know, I lost, I, I lost a job back in the eighties. Uh, I, I become the editor of a magazine and, uh, one day, uh, the women, the staff, the female staff came in, uh, shut the door to my office and I don't know, there were a dozen, 15 of them, and they said that they were going to do a walkout because of the way that they were being treated by this one particular executive. And, um, and then they told me these stories, and I said, oh, jeez. I, I mean, I'd only been on the job like yeah. three weeks. And I said, don't, hang on, just let me go over. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get in a taxi and go over to... Um, where the the owner of the magazine lived, I called him before I left and said I need to come over and talk to you. And I went over and talked to him. He came in and I told him what what women had said. 
the way that they were being treated, the way that they were being um, uh, used and abused. And he said to me, what are you doing listening to these women? They're always complaining about something. Oh, and by the way, and then he adds this weird thing. He says, um, he's agreed to go to counseling. And I said, well, <laughs> what? You just said that there's nothing to worry about. And then you got him, you're, you've got him in counseling. I mean, there's something very wrong here and you're going to need to fix this. And he said, no, you are management. You are management. You're the editor of this magazine and you are to do what we say. And they have a union. They can go to the union. I left there. I was so stunned by this. And I was fired uh, maybe a week or so right. later. And one of the reasons they said was because of I was collaborating with the union. And, and all I was trying to do was listen and try to fix this thing that uh, just being this young person from the Midwest and being who I was. But man, Rebecca, any man who's listening to this now knows none of this is new. This has gone on for so long. And most men, um, good men, uh, decided the way to handle it was to turn the other right. way. Don't get So involved. the story you just told uh, begins to get at the question that you posed at the beginning, which is how did Harvey, how were there all these stories, but there, for so many years there wasn't a public story, right? The, question, the story you just told right. about your experience at that magazine begins to get at that because this is so much of this is about power. But I would also say that you did see some of this behavior because there is, we, we've, the conversation around Me Too has, has gotten so, like the, the period in which, and again, I, I think it's, it was a window that was opened and sometimes it gets opened a little bit again, but then it closes again, right? Because I know as somebody who's um, reported on this stuff, like one of the horrors of this is that, you know, what's actually been written, it feels like there was this flood of stories about zillions of people, right? most, not all of them men. Um, and, and yet it, truly when I tell you that when you look below the surface, the number of stories that, that many of us know in life, but also as reporters who've, I mean, it, it's just, it takes your breath away. Like how much about many, many other people <laughs> I just can't be reported, right? There's still, there's, there are people out there who are Harveys who like, people know about and have lots of stories, but there's a degree of reportability, right? There's a degree of how can you get people to go on the record? And because these stories are fundamentally about power abuse and the abuse of power by the, by the powerful people who control paychecks, control raises, who, you know, and, and then the people whose paychecks are controlled by the powerful have families and have medical bills and need health insurance because our health insurance in this country remains connected to employment in horrible ways. Like th there are so many, the way the systems all conspire to silence people. And that's before you even get to the sort of common practice of NDAs. And, but it's all about power abuse. And while the conversation about Me Too, which again is like only a corner of the conversation that needs to be had, but yet, you know, people still feel overwhelmed by it and tired of it. Right. But the conversation about Me Too got so we got so much better at talking about sexualized power abuse, but we haven't completely reckoned with how it, that kind of abuse of power, um, with like, like material ill effects on human beings and on systems, corrosive, um, effects. 
isn't just limited to the kind of Harvey Weinstein serial violent rapist category of abuser, right? Um, and that it is also, I mean, I wrote a long story earlier this year about Cuomo and the sort of, and I think that there was an attempt to understand a lot of the stories that were being told about An Andrew Cuomo as just through the lens of like a Me Too sexualized power abuse and not the way that in fact, and, and there are some stories that about him that fit that model. But in fact, there are so many other stories that were just about how we understand power, which is he yells at people, he's a bully, he plays hardball, he's hard knuckled, right? The kind of stuff that you understood to be normal about Harvey, because we are raised to really dangerously connect um, nasty, damaging, cruel behavior from the powerful to the less powerful, as not only normal, but somehow admirable, a signal of, of authority. And, and in some cases, genius, greatness, right? Like, oh, he's an eccentric movie mogul. He throws a stapler at somebody. And you can see this around the reporting around Scott Rudin um, and people like Cuomo. And whether or not the accusations about those people also entail, as they did with Harvey, violent sexualized assault, right? And so the broader question that we need to get better at having, and it's far more uncomfortable because it's in all realms of our lives, right? It's our, it's many more of our politicians. It's the bosses at the companies. It's our partners. It's our friends. It's our colleagues. It's sometimes ourselves, right? It's like, is about how do the, how have people who have accumulated power also been taught that the way to build their power is to diminish everyone else's, right? And it takes a million forms, but that is a deeper and more and, and uncomfortable inquiry. And that is not to take away from the absolutely crucial work around specifically sexualized assault and harassment, right? Um, but I would argue that the things, lots of what was true, the, the violent rape was not public. And there were reporters, to be clear, there were reporters who tried to get that story for decades, just as there are reporters right now as we speak trying to tell stories similar or equivalent or comparable about many other powerful people. But it is incredibly difficult to get those stories and to tell them safe to, to protect those who are taking risks in coming forward with them, right? There's a lot of work that journalists have to do um, to, to be responsible not only to readers, but to the sources who are taking real risks, right? Challenging powerful people comes with real risk. Right, right. What, what, but the story I told you, what, what um, I mean, I know this is many, many years ago, but what could, I was brand new there. I hardly knew everybody's name, and um, and I lost my job. Um, and then I'm just asking myself right now: Why aren't you saying the name of the magazine? You know, why don't you like, say the name of the magazine? Tell me the name of the magazine. The, the magazine was Mother mm. Jones. Mother yeah. Jones. And so when I was fired, I I came to New York and uh, to see if I could get a job, and um, and so I went and, and met with people, editors, publishers of uh, the top liberal left magazines uh, in New York, um, The Nation, Village Voice, et cetera. And, um, and finally, the person at The Nation said to me, look, um, <laughs> there's no way we could hire you. 
because uh, Mother Jones is the largest circulation liberal left magazine in the country, and we need their mailing list to get new subscribers. I'm just going to be honest with you, and we can't lose that. And so uh, it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry that you've had to go through this. And Was this Don Hazen? Was the guy who, I mean, he's since been, he, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious because, in fact, there has been incredibly powerful reporting on Don Hazen. I don't know what years you're talking about here. Yeah. Yes, it was Don Hazen. And uh, this is the publisher and this, that who the, uh, the women on the staff had come in and said that they were going to walk out and not work at Mother Jones any longer and have a, a very, very loud and visible strike. Uh, because of his treatment uh, of them and that, uh, uh, you know, you had to be a certain way and do certain things if you were going to, you know, I mean, they laid it all out. It was just awful. And when I laid it out uh, to Adam Hochschild, the owner of the magazine, um, uh, and he was like, why are you listening to them? And I'm not dealing with this and he's got he's getting help and et cetera, et cetera. And what year was and, this? And um this this uh nineteen eighty six. So um, you know so did you is, follow the reporting yeah. on Don Hazen during Me Too? Right. Yes. So and the yes. the NPR episode of This American Life with the five women who tell their stories about Don Hazen is an yes. incredibly mm-hmm. powerful um piece yeah. of radio. I mean it was just I think about it all the time. It's very powerful. Um so yeah, that's yeah. an example, I, right, of exactly yeah. what we're talking about. 86, you knew this about Don Hazen, and I, you know, it sounded like you were going toward the question of, like, what could you have done differently, right? Is that what you were going to ask? Well, yes, and I, and I went to these other magazines. I told them the story. They just, <laughs> they wanted me out of the office as quick as possible, and then I'm unemployed for the next uh, half year. But, yeah, I was, this was what I was asking you, I, I think, because I think people listening to this right now, and I and I wrote this after the when the Harvey Harvey piece came out in the Times, on, I think it was October of 2017. I said, "Am I on Facebook? All of you, men and women, and I'm, I'm especially talking to you, men, have witnessed the treatment of women in the office and at work over the years. But we now all have a camera in our okay. pocket, and you can take that camera out." At any time, when you see this kind of behavior, when you hear the kind of language, when you see the, the inappropriate touch, uh, you can film that and post it. And I encourage you to do it. And this, this needs to be exposed and it needs to continue and it can't just stop with Harvey. But I just thought there's something we could all do about this and not just let this, just as you say, be reduced to just a Me Too thing. Or, you know, anytime something happens now, well, that's a Me Too thing. And it's like, it, it's reduced. Right, but, but that's what the whole it, desire, the reason it exists to begin with is because we don't want to think about it because we're taught that this is how power works. And it's much it. easier to not have to deal with it because yeah. it's hard. It, like, it is incredibly daunting and depressing and deflating and it's, it makes you feel bad. It doesn't, there's not, you know. And um, so people don't want to think about it and they want to say, oh, Me Too. And they want, and there's, I mean, there, but this is all part of how we get, that's how we, these are the, the level of forces at work. Um, the one thing I would say, though, as far as what can a single person do, I often get asked, because I've written, because I wrote a book about, um, about 
the role of anger and specifically there's all kinds of roles of anger that are really powerfully damaging. My book was about, um, you know, the, a kind of progressive anger, you know, um, anger at in inequity and anger, um, at injustice and, you know, how that anger can shape culture and politics and the value of protest and the value of fury, um, uh, in terms of making change. And very often people ask me the kind, that kind of, uh, practical question, um, that, you know, what, what should I do in this situation? And, um, very often it's women saying, what do I do? I am so angry. I learned I'm being paid this. And I, you know, should I go into my boss and challenge? And often the question is, is it my job is the thing to do here to challenge the boss, right? A version of what you say you did in this situation, right? And I can never, like my, my, role here is the opposite of prescription. I'm not good at giving advice. I would never tell anybody ever in any circumstance that the correct or moral thing to do is to challenge authority because that, that it's dangerous, right? There's a reason you'd never tell somebody like, you know, no matter how correct they are, um, to challenge a person who's, that it's their job to challenge a person who makes them vulnerable. And so, you know, you, it's just, right, you get fired. And if you're in an economically precarious situation, you have people depending on you for money that you're going to lose. Like these are, there's real peril here. You can't, you know, telling somebody to, to challenge a cop who arrests them for no reason is like, that's endangering a person's life. So you never tell somebody, I never, ever in a million years also, because it often doesn't work, right? Like, (laughs) because the person has power and when they're directly challenged by an individual, great, they can fire you. They have power over you. The only thing I can say that's remotely prescriptive, because I'm terrible at any advice in this, and there's often not a good solution, right? There's often not a like, well, the correct path was this, right? No, if there were a correct path, a lot of us would have figured out what it was, and I guess we would have fixed this. But one of the only ameliorative things you can do is to form connection with others, right? The right? There's a reason that coalition building, that there's power in a union, right? So, so it's often, I find, the power comes from communication and building networks of support amongst those who either experience being on the wrong side of power or are standing in solidarity with those who are on the wrong side of power, on the, the, the lesser side of power, yeah. right? And, right? And right. because with those women in coming to you, that, that was an example of that. And in fact, for them, to some degree at work, they alerted you to the situation. They were coming to you together, right? You might have reacted very differently if it was one person who'd come to you. Mm. And, so, and, and so the job for a lot of us, including those of us, whether you're a guy, whether you're a white person, whether you're a, a woman who's in, you know, who herself is a, is a boss and, you know, a lot of it is standing in coalition and not necessarily, not nece- great if it's an effective path, it's not necessarily individual challenge. It's find the beginnings of organizing in coalition because that's, how, that's the only time-tested method where those who have less power can gain power is by working together. And even if it doesn't, by the way, the other, again, going back to the sort of models of how to, how to navigate injustice and not 
get destroyed or burned out is like you're also finding support with those other people, you know, so that even if you don't find the path to victory, <laughs> you do find community. Yeah, I'm right. I agree with that. And I'm thinking back to that time, even though I went to people that I thought would be understanding, these are this is the left we're talking about, liberals, you know. Why did you ask me about which which year that was though? Did you did you know him? Did you um have a No, I was curious because I I know so much about the um the, the yeah, the yes, and and he did have this very um he had a terrible reputation um, for a long time before those stories came out. And, but I just was curious about how long, because when, you know, when we started this portion of the conversation, you were talking about like, oh, there's many years that Harvey was doing this and yet it was never public. And I was wondering about the year that this happened because it was like, right, that's 1986. And yet he continued to have power in left media for decades after that. And, so many other women experienced his his behavior and suffered for it and professionally suffered for it. Not just like, oh, they suffered emotionally, like, uh, you know, left the media. Right. People that might have been great reporters, writers, yes. editors themselves um, will never know, will never hear their stories because of of that abuse that... that um, you know, I learned of after only a few weeks there, and then and then I was sent out to pasture, never to be heard from again. And I uh, I saw the stories when they came out, and I thought, well, um, people have done the job here that needed to be done a long time ago. I told the people at the nation, and I told the uh, people at the Village Voice, and I told others, and nobody. And this is again, this is the mid '80s. Right. And you may you may think that we were way down the road to enlightenment by them, but I'm I'm to the younger people listening. I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, um, and and just you know, looking back, uh, and again, this is like a very Harvey-like situation, not in terms of abusing uh, women, but but you know, I was on Charlie Rose enough times to see how he treated people. I was on Matt Lauer enough times. He was the worst uh, in terms of treating people. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, um, his, uh, his uh, assaulting and other um, behavior, sexual abuse behavior, uh, but just to staff, just to human beings. These are awful, awful people. And, and, and each of the ones that I have encountered because I've been on their show or because, you know, whatever, uh, nothing surprised me in the sense I didn't know what I had learned through the reporting, wonderful, great reporting that was done. But nonetheless, um, um, it may, it just has, I wonder to this day how much more of that obviously continues to go on. Um, who is afraid to speak? Um, and I think that was a great answer you just gave that it, that sense of community and doing it with others um, provides um, enough protection. I interestingly enough, as far as I can remember this, none of the women on the staff who came to me with all of this evidence um, lost their jobs. We wouldn't dare fire them because it became, it became uh, an issue and eventually uh, some people wrote about it, but it wasn't, the focus wasn't on, 
on this and it wasn't on the anti-labor attitudes, et cetera. So um, I just, I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you came on my podcast today and, I'm, and, and it has made me think a lot about um, what else needs to be done on this issue uh, because um, um, what women today that work in the media, in film, in whatever, and of course all other jobs and professions have to deal with this on a daily, weekly basis. And I, I want to say something also, because this portion started with you talking about Harvey being extradited. Um, you know, I think a lot, and, you know, during the, the sort of height of Me Too in the, in the winter of 2017, um, you know, there was a lot of conversation about consequences. And obviously Harvey's in jail, uh, in prison, and has been extradited to face more charges. But I have really, and I've always said that I'm not, I, like, I hate the burden of what are the consequences, but I, I, I always think with Harvey and, and others, him being in jail isn't fixing this, right? Like, and I have, this is, this is my own sort of always changing thinking and coming, being very, very persuaded by a prison abolition movement and my own thoughts on criminal justice reform that I have become less and less enthusiastic about the idea that sending people to prison does anything. Um, and it certainly, and, and Harvey's a great example of Harvey's Harvey went to prison and there are still it, like we haven't, it's, it's, we, so many of us still haven't done the work of thinking about how we continue to support this behavior, right? And you can't just solve it by sending everybody who engages it in it to prison because so much of the engagement, so much of the power abuse isn't going to take the form of, you know, Harvey violently raping people, you know? Um, and it's something I think about all the time because that's another question that I get asked all the time, like how, you know, and prison isn't the answer right and and you can't you can't send everybody to prison and i, I just I, this this gets to a real point of upset for me um because i think that we too often turn to a criminal justice system. And I do too. I haven't like this, my thinking on this has, has changed. I remember even within the past couple of years, I think in, um, gosh, was it in 2018 around the same time that Kavanaugh was convicted? I remember that I remember myself taking comfort in a different strain with the conviction of, or, or the conviction of, um, that Chicago police officer who killed Laquan McDonald. Um, like mm-hmm. I, that was some kind of, I don't, I mean, I didn't revel in it, but like, I, I remember feeling some kind of like, well, at least there's accountability or something. And I, I've like, this is, I, my thinking on this changes all the times and it's, and it's certainly not my area of expertise at all. It's something that I'm just sort of learning and in, in the process of being persuaded about. But I think about this with Harvey all the time. I remember the day that Harvey was sentenced to prison. And of course I have so many friends and colleagues who are very involved um, who felt some measure of joy. And I remember walking through the streets of 
like getting out of the subway that day, I was meeting somebody for lunch and I saw people like, it had just happened. And there was like this weird joy. And I was like, I feel nothing here. I feel no joy. I feel no satisfaction that this guy's going to prison. Um, because I don't think it's going to fix anything. It's not going to fix the main right. problem. And, and it just means another and person in prison. And, you know. It's just another person in prison. And also because of the, the sort of, um, you know, I remember, I remember him asking me uh, to attend the AMFAR uh, benefit uh, to raise money to look for a, a cure or some help with HIV and AIDS. And um, I went there, and there were other filmmakers, directors, people there, and, and um, Matilda mm -hmm. Krim, who, I don't know if she founded AMFAR, but she was the head of it. She was the driving force to try and save people's lives. And um, she said to me that, you know, Harvey here, for all of his bluster and his ways and whatever, He's raised over a quarter of a billion dollars mm. for us. And if, if there's any like one person who's more responsible for us, finally, they were just, you know, they were developing you know, this cocktail of drugs for people, HIV. And, and the reason that you and I and others have not been to a mm -hmm. funeral in I a number have of been, years. actually, but yes. Okay. <laughs> right. A very dear, someone who a passed away because of this. I'm yeah. so sorry, but yes, you know I what, do I know mean. what you mean. I mean, that's a that's I mean, a quirk of, of my life, not of broader culture. When I first came to New York, it was every other month. Right. Um, I was at somebody's funeral. Um, so I'm sorry to. I don't no, 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 no. I just that's of, it. Yeah. Really is um, an unusual situation. Just to get back to what she, yes, but she. So my, and, and seriously, my condolences. I really feel bad having said that, but. Her her point, um, she wasn't saying it to, this is all before, mm -hmm. you know, he was arrested and all that, but it was like, there. she said, you know, there, there might be millions of people alive today and in the future because of what he's done. And, you know, it really, I think, you know, the world we live in and that, and that the... Um, the people who do horrible things. And I said this to a friend, and I said, well, you know, he was just doing that AIDS thing for to make himself look good. It was a cover. I said, yeah, maybe. And then, and then, and then it's kind of like, but whatever it was, the head of the organization is saying he, he is responsible for saving lives because of this. And, um, and just kind of trying to come to grips with that as a person who is, the, is I do believe we should abolish prisons, that and that how do we deal with people like this in our society? Because we have to protect the the other people, the victims, the vulnerable, right. etc., from people like him. That we have to we have a responsibility to do that. But but do you get it? Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's it. Um, well, this is this is about the stuff you're saying about the kind of. The, the good that he did in the world via where he put money gets to one of the hardest things. Um, and, and this is the hardest is that it's not just the cartoon villains, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's also, you know, and, and 
obviously Democrats have had to reckon with this during this whole period too, right? That and that's that's one of the reasons we we would rather just throw some cartoon villains in prison, right? Than than do the work of acknowledging that the good guys can also be the bad guys, right? And this is like and 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 it's okay to talk about those things and be honest about them and the complexity of it. And, but that's also how power works. Like what you said to your friend about, oh, he was doing this to cover it up. Like he was giving, okay, lots of people do good work for all kinds of complicated reasons too, right? Um, and, and we become dependent on people, whether they're our bosses and whether they have us sign an NDA agreement or whether they like win us an Oscar and therefore we can't ever tell the story about what they did to us or our friend or our girlfriend, right? Mm. Like mm. there's that kind of dependency. And then there's ideological dependency, right? Look at the kinds of, you know, harassment and racism happening. Your story about Don Hazen, right? Within a left mm. world, within unions, you know? Mm. Uh, it's and, and from people whose work changes the world in good global ways and whose behavior does does is is part of of a pattern of systemic um discrimination and does horrifying damage to individuals and structurally within within institutions and professions you know those can coexist they do um and it's really hard to unpack that it's really hard to unpack that it's one of the reasons me too is so uncomfortable for people like me too you know um it's because you're looking not just at the cartoon villainy. You're looking at the lower level forms of abuse, harassment, and discrimination and acknowledging that it's not just the outsized movie moguls, right? The Louis B. Mayer disciples like Harvey Weinstein, who is like, oh, he's larger than life. It's, that it's also your colleagues who you've, your, your own system working, the guys you have lunch with, right? The the people you came up with, who also, you know, I don't know, put their hand on their, on their, uh, you know, professional subordinate's leg. And it's not brutal rape, but it's harassment. And it's part of why, you know, it's part of all the systems that conspire to leave us with just 25% of women in, in Congress, right? Like, these are all parts of much bigger patterns that extend across professions and extend um, into all corners of our lives and our familial lives and our social lives and our, and our work lives and our political and ideological lives. And it's really hard to unpack because there's not a simple path and there's not a simple answer and there's not a simple like, what should I do in this situation? And it's profoundly uncomfortable and it leaves us all implicated. And um, so nobody wants to do it. So it's much easier to say, oh, it's another Me Too story, or this is cancel culture, right. or I'm so right. glad Harvey's in jail. That fixes it, right? Like there's, there's just, there, we turn to the simpler fixes because the real fix is A, not, not easy and not right in front of us and not even necessarily available. And it requires deep introspection all of us, right? And reassessment of our place in the world and the very systems and people we hold dear and, and 
feel strongly for? Uh, wow, I didn't. <laughs> I know we're going to get into this, this deep. Sorry. <laughs> this is what you get. You get no, very don't be tired, sorry. Oh, Rebecca, and I just, uh, it's like two hours later. I no, should get off the phone. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, no. I am so, I am so grateful for you um, long before this conversation um, because I meant that when I said that why I love reading what you've written over the years. And it's not just on this issue, but, but, you know, the things that you've said here and the things you've said when you've written these pieces, uh, they are inspiring in the sense that, that all of us try to find our courage uh, because we know what's ahead uh, for us if we, if we uh, decide to, you know, to speak out. And I always thought, well, someday I'm going to make a movie about mm. this because um, this is... Uh, Jeez, I had this executive producer. I had to fire him because he just kept making the men that like to make these kind of, uh, they like to tell sex mm-hmm. jokes, what they call jokes. They're not jokes at all. Um, and we were in the edit room, a couple other women there and him, and, and um, he was suggesting that we take a, a clip from this movie called Lipstick with mm-hmm. Margot Hemingway and Muriel yeah. Hemingway. Um, and uh, it's movie about rape and um and he says we need a good we need a good rape uh thing in here it's it's not it's not bad rape it's it's like Mm -hmm. good rape we just need a good rape joke or something here and then i said you know it's over Uh, you have to leave and um i had to go through so much um of whatever i'm not we're out of we're out of time here i'm not going to talk about it at this point and yes, that exists across the ideolo- ideological spectrum, and that's the hard part. Yes, that's right. It's on our oh, side yeah. too, and, uh, and not just two, uh, maybe mm-hmm. especially uh, it's because it's cloaked because it's of, cloaked in something that supposedly yes. smells better. Yes, I think that's a mixed metaphor, but whatever. Correct. No, no, that's a perfect metaphor and a great one to go out on. Um, I really thank you for coming on my podcast, but I, I think people, I hope. Uh, will uh, take away especially what you said in terms of of how to fight power when power is not good and evil and and that the sense of community there are other people there that share your feelings that are going through what you're going through organize right organize uh uh come at them because there's more of you than there are of them there's always been more of you than there are of them and and you know i I want to live in a better world and I'm, I'm happy with some of the progress we've made and I know um, how much of the fight that exists that's ahead of us. So thank you for being there for us and for writing uh, Rebecca Tracer, a uh, great writer uh, now appearing in New York magazine. Uh, but also if you get a chance to read her books or, or go back and I'm going to Rebecca, I'm going to put a couple of links on, on this uh, site and you know what? I think I'll put up, I'm going to put up the link, the uh, This American Life link. The Five Women link. It's oh, a great, it's, it's the, yeah. The Five Women, yeah. Uh, so people can hear this about the person I, the publisher I was referring to. And um, silence is not an option. So. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Keep doing this excellent work. We need you. Bye. All right, be well. You too. Wow, so... That was part two of my conversation 
with Rebecca Tracer. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will add all those links that we discussed in uh, uh, in this conversation. They will be in the description page here of this episode. So if you want to read or listen to the backstory, uh, especially the This American Life uh, piece on uh, Don Hazen, uh, that will be right there for you to click on and uh, to listen to. Um, I want to share, though, uh, before we close, a few final thoughts about all of this, about what you've just heard, and maybe you know where we go from here with it. But before we do that, I want to thank our final underwriter for today's episode, and that is Raycon. I know a lot of people right now, if you're like me, there's some trepidation in all of us as we start to go to out to a social gathering, uh, maybe to eat at a restaurant outside. Some people still uh, fearing getting vaccinated. Please don't be afraid. Please get vaccinated. Uh, you know, I understand all kinds of fears and anxieties are, are normal. But, you know, one, one thing that I do, you and this is not a new idea because we've all done this for now, what, two decades or more, is that to ease any of the crap in our daily lives, what's one of the things we do? And I don't mean alcohol or drugs. We make playlists. <laughs> we make playlists of our favorite music and then we put them on something where we then can listen to it in our ears. It blocks out the rest of the world. And, um, you know, I, I uh, and I, of course, we all have different playlists. I have my disco playlist. I have my classic rock playlist. I have my hip hop list. Whatever mood I'm in, that's the list I listen to. So sometimes I just want to relax, zone out. Um, other times I, I want to get revved up and get moving. Get moving, Mike. And here's the music for it. And I just stick it in my ears. Sometimes it's good for meditation. And I have found in this last year that the best way to listen to that music, to actually have it feel as rich and whole and as part of my brain as possible, are these incredible wireless earbuds that I found from Raycon. They have been brought to us by the incredible rapper Ray J. Uh, he's the co-founder of Raycon, and um, he wanted to create a way where we could just listen to music for a very long time. The battery life of these buds <laughs> 32 hours i'm not suggesting you go a whole 32 hours but hey you may need it he wanted to have a rapper produced pair of earbuds that didn't cost so damn much money so he decided we're going to offer these at half the price of the other premium audio brands and they sound just as good these raycons man they're incredible they come with a 45 day what they call a happiness guarantee so all you rumble listeners you can get 15 percent off your raycon order at Buy Raycon. That's where you go to. Buy, B-U-I. Buyraycon.com slash rumble. You got to put the slash rumble in there so they know that you appreciate their support of this podcast. Buy Raycon. And that Raycon is R-A-Y-C-O-N. Buy, B-U-I. Buyraycon.com slash rumble to save 15% on your Raycons. Money. So listen, before we go, I just, I wanted to say just a few final words and um, there's so much more uh, to be said about this. There's so much more. I know Rebecca um, has dealt with this issue for so many years. 
and has written about it, has investigated it. And I think anybody who's alive really has, has been a witness to sexual harassment, um, has been a victim of sexual harassment. Um, and as men, uh, either um, have, <laughs> have been sexual harassers or stood silently by while women in the office, uh, in the factory, wherever, were being mistreated. And I guess I didn't plan on doing this today, but um, because she was here, I thought this is, this is the perfect person to have this discussion with. And, and what do we do about it? And I thought that was very powerful, what she said about um, that when we band together, when women band together, when men band together with women as their strong allies, um, we have a way of fixing this. We have a way of making this better. And, um, you know, we live in a country where our Republicans in the Senate have once again blocked the uh, reinstating the Violence Against Women Act. This political party is intent on making sure that there is no law that protects women against men in a very specific way. It's absolutely incredible. The rest of the world looks at us like we are just out to lunch. Well, whether it's this particular law, whether it's all the other things that would benefit women, how about just putting the word woman in the United States Constitution the way that it is in other democracies, but not in ours? So we still have the Equal Rights Amendment sitting there already with the 38 states it needs that's voted its approval, and it's still not part of our Constitution. And, you know, I've talked a lot about that on, on Rumble, and we're going to keep talking about it. But this just won't happen with us just talking about it. And it was really powerful to hear Rebecca say that if we are just sitting back thinking, oh, we got Harvey in jail, problem solved, who are we trying to kid? There's a lot more to be done about this. And frankly, we were talking to each other afterwards. Is that we're kind of tired of talking about it. We want real action taken. And we want men, some of you, if you're listening to this, or if you know of these men in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, you got to call them out on it. And you got to explain to them that those days are over. Sorry, I know, I heard Cuomo. Yeah, it's how I was raised. <laughs> it was back in the day. You know, you gave her a little peck. No. No. Yeah, back in the day was pretty bad. And, and yes, most men were raised with attitudes that they had to change at some place along the line. We, as men, all of us, had to address this, still have to address it, and still must always acknowledge the privilege that we have still as men, and especially as white men, how easily that door still opens for us, no matter what door it is that we want to go through. 
I'm fed up with it. I don't want to live in that world. I won't live in that world. But I'm not going anywhere. So that means the world has to change. That has to, And I have to be one of those change agents, as do all of you. Especially guys who are listening to this right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Enough. Enough of this, please. I'm going to revisit this. I have other stories to tell. And I'm going to tell them, and I'm going to name names. And I'm sorry for where the chips fall, but uh, I'm, I'm, not on a, I'm not on some high horse here, believe me. I'm not just running around pointing the finger. I just think it's time. It was time a long time ago for the silence to end. But we have to actively, proactively make it end. I have a lot of thoughts this week as we go into the final weekend of the Olympics about our gymnastics team about the way the women were treated in our state in Michigan at Michigan State University by a doctor there who um, raped them in his own way as a doctor with our tax dollars my money your money if you're a Michigander and um I'm not going to get into that right now, but I started writing. I stayed up. I stayed up a couple nights ago because I wanted to see how she was going to do. It's feeling so bad for her, for what she's had to put up with. Simone, I'm talking about Simone Biles. And um, I started writing something that I will share with you in the next week or two here. Um, I, this can't go on. Right? Not on my watch. Not on your watch. The end. The end. God bless her and her courage. And shame on us for allowing all of this to go on for so long. My thanks to Rebecca Tracer for being my guest here these past two weeks on Rumble. Great conversation. Hope to have her back on again. And uh, stay tuned in the coming uh, couple of weeks uh, because um, it's time to blow this out of the water. Not just this on this particular subject, but a whole bunch of other things. Silence is not an option. As I've said before, I want to save the America that we've never had. Thank you, my friends, for listening. Thanks to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor and the sound engineer, Nick Quaz, and to all of you who listen to Rumble and um, who are supportive of my work, my gratitude. We have important work to do, and I am personally looking forward to it. Take care. I'm Michael Moore. This is Rumble.